It's Friday, July 2nd. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Leading into the 4th of July weekend, it's important to be safe when dealing with fireworks. You will most likely be seeing some illegal fireworks going off near you, but in South LA on Wednesday, the explosion came for the LAPD. Responding to a tip, cops found 5,000 pounds of illegal fireworks at one home, including other improvised explosive devices. Those were put into a special chamber to be detonated when an unexpected explosion occurred, injuring 17 people and damaging nearby cars and homes. Steve Gregory, reporter at KFI News in Los Angeles, joins us for what happened with this unexpected blast. Next, there's a lot of talk about infrastructure lately as the Biden administration tries to get a bill passed. And one of the big questions being debated is how to pay for it. But why does it cost so much to build things in America? When it comes to mass transit and roads, we just don't build enough and are out of practice. Every time a new project comes along, it's like starting from scratch. There's also the complexity of working across multiple jurisdictions and bottlenecks at every step of the process. Jerusalem Demsis, policy reporter at Vox, joins us for why the U.S. gets very little for what it builds. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. And it was believed to be explosive in nature. They believed they knew what they had. This speaks, of course, to the unknown origin of who the who the constructor was, who the who the the person who pulled this together. I, we don't know what he put in there. That'll be part of our investigation. Joining us now is Steve Gregory, reporter for KFI News in Los Angeles. Thanks for joining us, Steve. Always a pleasure. The Fourth of July weekend is here, and you know there's going to be a ton of illegal fireworks everywhere you go. But in South LA on Wednesday night, there was an unfortunate incident involving fireworks. Police were there seizing a huge amount of illegal fireworks. They planned to detonate some of them in a specialized truck that they do these detonations to get rid of these things from. And it ended up causing a huge explosion. 17 people were injured, damaged to homes nearby. Steve, tell us what was going on sure. at the scene. So they got a tip from a neighbor in, in a part of South Los Angeles that there had been a stash of these illegal fireworks. And so when bomb squad techs from the Los Angeles Police Department got on scene, they went inside and they were able to look around and see that they had boxes and boxes of these fireworks. So they used trailers and they used box trucks to get all of those cases out. Well, deep embedded in the back of this garage area, they found other boxes that didn't match the first set. And when they started to look at it, they realized they had improvised explosive devices. Now, they appeared to be about the size of a Coke can. There were 40 of those items, then about 200 more, the same shape, but much smaller. So they had to go through a, a, a protocol of cutting them in half with a robot and checking the chemical properties and doing x-rays to make sure there wasn't any other metal pieces in it. Maybe it was an explosive with you know some sort of ball bearings or nails or something in them. And they found out that, that well, yes, that it's, a, it's an explosive and they're going to have to do something with it. But they didn't want to take a chance on hauling it in the same fashion they did with the other batch. So they brought in what they call their total containment vehicle. It's this round spherical gadget. I, I, for lack of a better word, it's a vessel, I guess. Right. That's mounted onto a flatbed trailer and hauled by a semi-tractor. And they were putting some of that in there and about to detonate it or neutralize it to make it inert when all of a sudden the entire thing just 
obliterated. The entire total containment vehicle just exploded. Right. It was a huge scene and there was camera crews on hand and everything. There's actually audio of it because that's how much interest there was in it. So let's play a little clip of that explosion. As I mentioned, homes were damaged. A car flipped well, you, over. Well, nearby. No, yeah, a car got knocked over and you'll hear the car alarms being triggered. Yeah. I mean, just a huge, huge scene right there. And, and what happened, you know, in the immediate aftermath? Well, immediate aftermath, everyone was in shock. Obviously, you had residents that were impacted. You had officers that were on scene. Because keep in mind, this was already a planned event. So you had plenty of officers on scene. You had a containment area, a safe zone. You had Los Angeles City firefighters there. You had members of the Alcohol Tobacco Firearms Agency there. So you had people already around the area. And in total, at last count, as of Wednesday night's press conference, There had been 17 injured and 10 of whom were officers. Seven were civilians. Now, the most severe injuries were those of civilians and mostly cuts from shattered glass and scrapes from falling. A lot of ear ringing and a lot of those kinds of injuries. Fortunately, no one had any life threatening injuries. Well, I mean, in a situation that is so unexpected, nobody thought that was going to happen. I'm sure people were a lot closer than they should have been. Right, Uh, because they assumed everything was under control and they have detonated explosives in that containment vehicle numerous times before. I want to talk a little bit more about that containment vehicle. Here's LAPD Chief Michael Moore talking about how it should have been sufficient. Whatever they were putting in there should have been, the the truck should have held up. The total charge or group of this improvised explosives was less than 10 pounds, is, is our investigation to this point. That the rating, is my understanding of that vessel, as a rating, a standard rating of a 15 pounds of material with an outer containment shell of 18 pounds. So that should have been enough. I mean, we'll obviously learn more as the investigation goes, but I mean, does that suggest it was more than maybe gunpowder in these IEDs? I mean, right. And I think, think? The, the two prevailing theories, according to sources of mine in law enforcement, that it was a chemical that they did not identify there was something in that batch that they were unable to detect or there was structural integrity issues with the actual vessel those seem to be the two prevailing theories wow and you know for it to completely obliterate the way it did there had to be a catastrophic failure of the design of that or it needed servicing i'm not sure the background on how those are serviced or how they're maintained but Structural integrity was being thrown around quite a bit last night. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of video and people can check it out and just see how huge that explosion was. They said that the top of this armored container probably weighs as much about as one ton. Mm-hmm. And that thing flew like two blocks away. Right, right. And right. damaged a home and, and all that. It hit a roof. It, it, it like bounced off the roof and then landed out on all, I think, right on the front yard in the street area. Now, the other fireworks that they were able to haul away safely, were those uh, just kind of your normal mortars and other these illegal yeah. fireworks sets that we usually see commercially designed and commercially manufactured. And they're telling us that they came from out of state. So somewhere out of California, it's not clear if they meant Mexico or just recently Cal fire announced 80,000 pounds of seized fireworks in the last two months, just from the Arizona, California border and the Nevada, California border. So just an interdiction program between those two borders. Right. And so these fireworks, 5,000 pounds in total, that's a lot. <laughs> that's a ton, that's a ton of <laughs> yeah, fireworks. Totally. Uh, but um, it's not clear the origin of them and who manufactured them. But the thing that had them most concerned was those IEDs. Yeah, of course. 
arrests made. They arrested 27-year-old Arturo Cejas in all of this. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's a young guy, but anything more that we learned about him? Other than his 10-year-old brother was there, too. Oh, wow. And they had to uh, call Child and Family Services to come get the 10-year-old brother. And in addition to the possession of the illegal fireworks and explosives, they're looking to tack on a child endangerment charge as well. What do uh, police departments, fire departments do in the lead up to the 4th of July pandemic happen? There's a lot of pent up demand to party and blow these things up. Uh, I mean, what do they do in preparation for this? Because they know it's going to happen. Obviously, they made this big bust, but there's going to be illegal fireworks all over the place. Sure. Every fire department, every law enforcement agency in America has been having a press conference almost every day to tout the dangers of illegal fireworks and fireworks in general. We're in a record drought. So there's also the fire danger. Then there's the explosion danger. But the problem is, is all these jurisdictions, municipalities have different codes and rules with respect to fireworks. The city of Los Angeles fireworks are illegal, but city of Los Angeles has some of the largest numbers of fireworks being detonated during 4th of July. So, you know, law enforcement agencies, it's kind of like sit back, hold their breath and hope for the best. Steve Gregory, reporter for KFI News in Los Angeles. Thank you very much for joining us. Always a pleasure. Currently, the Federal Highway Administration doesn't know how much it costs to build any individual section of the highway. They're just sending money out and they don't actually know where it's going. And so that's that's kind of a big, big problem. Joining us now is Jerusalem Dempsis, policy reporter at Vox. Thanks for joining us, Jerusalem. Yeah, thanks for having me. Right now, we're seeing this ongoing conversation about infrastructure in the country. Obviously, the Biden administration is pushing for a big bill. It looks like we might have a compromise, but, you know, that all that stuff is still ongoing, still being worked out. Obviously, one of the big things that is being talked about is the cost. How much is this all going to cost? We know that infrastructure tends to be very expensive in the country. I think in the article you noted the U.S. is the sixth most expensive country in the world to build rapid rail transit infrastructure like we have in New York City in the subway and the Washington Metro, all that stuff. But that question comes, why does it cost so much to build things in America? Jerusalem, you wrote an article looking into that. So tell us what we're seeing. Sure. And so even, you know, the stat that you said this for the sixth most expensive place to build rapid rail transit, it really undersells it because the five countries that are more expensive than us are doing much more ambitious projects. They're tunneling a lot more, which means it's much more expensive to to build the actual infrastructure. So they're they're building more than 80 percent of their rapid rail transit tunneled, and we're only building 37 percent. So if we were doing what they were doing in terms of the ambition of our projects, we would be likely the most expensive place in the world to build any kind of transit. So that, that wow. really kind of gives you a scope of how big the problem is. And this isn't really just a transit problem. This is also with America's highways. There's research by the New York Federal Reserve, by Brown University, by George Washington University and Yale researchers that looked into how expensive it's become over time to add uh, sections to the highway. And it's mostly a new construction problem, things like widening and building interchanges or building new sections of road. And it's three times more expensive in 1980s um, to build a new section of the highway than in the 60s. And then between 1990 and 2008, after that, it increased fivefold. So it's, it's been increasing over time for, for quite a bit. And so the problem is problem is quite massive. Yeah, I think one of the experts you spoke to, you know, going back to the 50s, right? And, and a few decades later, it's like, yeah, you know, the prices went up a little bit. Then it kind of went up substantially. Mm-hmm. And now it's exploded. 
And, and we see that mm-hmm. when, you know, as you mentioned, uh, depending on how ambitious a project is, you, you see it going in the millions to the billions. Just mm-hmm. as an example, I live in California and we were going through the high speed rail thing that w- that they wanted to build. Initial estimates mm-hmm. in 2008, that was about $33 billion it was going to cost. Then went up to $68 billion. I think it, right now it's over $100 billion. But it's kind of been going nowhere. You know, one of the things that uh, I just saw was a, an environmental impact report for a portion of that rail had just been released. So, I mean, this is just how long these projects take. And that's another thing that that figures into this, the, the time, the duration that it takes for a project to be I guess even started, but completed is pretty long. Yeah. And uh, I'm glad you brought up the environmental impact statement because that's a big part of the problem. Researchers look at the passage of the National Environmental Policy Act in 1970 as part of the reason why uh, you have all these cost overruns and delays. So, you know, it was trying to solve an important problem, which was that we wanted to make sure that infrastructure projects weren't causing undue harm to the environment. But the way that it created power was to ensure that any citizen could essentially sue, claiming that there was some kind of environmental problem and cause a ton of delays, even if there's no evidence that there's actually any environmental harm. The the result of that is that now the average um, environmental impact statement, which is required for any federal project or private project that requires a federal permit, it takes it's more than 600 pages plus a thousand pages in appendices and takes roughly four and a half years to complete. So that's the kind of delay we're talking about. And you can't break ground on the project until you've completed that. And of course, during that time, you're paying consultants, you're paying staffers, you're doing all this kind of stuff that is still ongoing and you're not actually getting any product provided to, to Americans who need transit to get to work or to school or, or to play. Let's talk, let's talk about the why it, it's more expensive. I mean, but what about basic things like just the cost of the materials or or even just, you know, in, in America, obviously, we, we have a lot of higher safety standards that technically doesn't really increase the cost as much as people would think. Yeah. So the fundamental drivers of cost. And again, this is a place where we really need a lot more data. One of the biggest problems is that the federal government and state governments do not collect data on wh- where this money is being spent in an itemized way. So Leah Brooks, who is a uh, researcher at George Washington University, she told me that apparently the Federal Highway Administration doesn't know how much it costs to build any individual section of the highway. They're just sending money out and they don't actually know where it's going. And so that's that's kind of a big, big problem. So what we do know is that outside, I mean, one of the big things is, of course, these lawsuits that come out of these environmental laws and allow people to kind of abuse the, the goodwill of these laws for their own benefit. And second thing is just that, you know, there are a lot of administrative problems, a lot of bureaucratic issues with which that which we do transit in this country that are really impractical. Uh, researchers looked at um, the Boston Green Line extension as a case study and found kind of similar things across the country. One is that there are understaffed agencies that don't have a lot of experience managing projects or consultants. Like anything, people who practice something are going to be good at it. In America, we're not very practiced at building transit. And so people are doing it for the first time. Agencies are usually doing it for the first time every time they commence it. So you don't have this a lot of institutional memory. So you end up kind of hiring a bunch of expensive consultants to help you with that project. And that helps run up the cost. And then as, as, it, as it takes longer and longer to do, people are really any kind of policymaker in the area is really attracted to the amount of federal money that's coming in to fund this project. And so they all want their pet project to be included. And a lot of these things are are good ideas, things like bike lanes or uh, making sure that there's a sufficient green space or things like that that are very popular ideas. But 
they add to the cost of any individual project and they end up making it inefficient because now you have an agency trying to manage a behemoth of a project instead of the original plan, which was just a four and a half mile light rail project that was supposed to cost a billion dollars. What ended up happening is that in 2015, that Boston Green Line extension actually ended up costing over three billion dollars and the project had to be put on hold because it was just third <laughs> at that point. Oh, my so, gosh. And that's, and, yeah. And I mean, I think there's also this larger problem in the United States where people are, 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 there's a culture of not being, not trusting the government to get something done quickly for good reason in a lot of cases. And then also what that means is people are not willing to put up with any kind of construction delays. So in the United States, you know, in a lot of places, you're only allowed to work at night. You're only allowed to construction at night and you have to keep traffic flowing. So you can't just like shut down a street in the middle of the day to continue working on something. And what ends up happening is in Istanbul, for instance, transit construction projects, they run 24 hours a day. And then in seven years, they were able to build 12 miles of subway and Boston built basically zero miles of their project. So that just kind of indicates a lot of the problems that come about. And of course, that leads to American transit agencies really needing to look to other countries to see what they're doing better than us. Yeah. And that was the the next question that I had. You, you You mentioned Istanbul. You mentioned how we have no practice really here in the States of continually building these projects. And we talk about the ambitiousness of the projects too. You know, other countries are constantly building, upgrading, extending all that. You know, what, what happens? Do we look to them? Do we get Mm -hmm. consultants uh, on that side? Uh, You know, how do we, Mm -hmm. how do we close that divide at least? I mean, I think the first step is just acknowledging that this is not, this is a problem. And secondly is, requiring that there be individual agencies that are actually responsible for the final output. We all know what happens in group projects when there's not a person who's responsible for <laughs> for making sure it gets shepherded through. That was um, my favorite every- quote from the article. It's like a most <laughs> the most dysfunctional group project ever. It really is. I mean, we've all been in that situation. And when there's not someone who's responsible for the final output, who's shepherding it through, who's making sure that everyone's pieces are in place, you have a lot of inefficiency, you have a lot of stress and a lot of anger coming in. And that's essentially what we're doing in the United States. And I think it requires there being an understanding that there's a problem, a delegation to specific agencies of the authority to actually oversee and also be responsible for any kind of delays or cost overruns. And once that happens, I think that there can be a lot of change, interchange of ideas across the Atlantic and across the Pacific to different nations that are able to do this better. And, you know, I think for a lot of people, you know, people don't mind paying more money if it means we're getting something important. If we're yeah. providing accessibility infrastructure like elevators so people can, you know, access it if they're in a wheelchair or they're disabled in some other way, or, you know, we're providing some sort of green space or labor requirements. But there's no evidence right now that what we're paying for is something that we value. We're just throwing money away. But the most important thing I think I would like to say, though, too, is just that, you know, a lot of times we have this discussion and people think, oh, we need to be cutting budgets. That's not the answer. America spends very little on infrastructure investments. We're just not very good at spending the money we do spend in an efficient way. So getting to that point means actually staffing up these agencies. It means making sure that they're fully staffed. They don't have to rely on expensive consultants and that they can build up institutional memory to actually get things done for for taxpayers. Jerusalem Demsis policy reporter at Vox. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Divers is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. 
I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this is your Daily Dive.